Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, February 8th, 2023, the 749th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So last night, the illegitimate president went to a joint session of Congress to address the nation in what real presidents give as the State of the Union. And it was a more raucous affair than usual. 
Before the speech began, Donald Trump announced that he would be responding in real time to the State of the Union on Truth Social. And before the fake president began speaking, Donald Trump released a two minute long video statement that he introduced as the real State of the Union, which kind of makes sense because Donald Trump actually won the election in 2020 and by rights is the duly elected president. But we'll save that until the end. Let's talk about the fake president's speech. Now, the first thing that I noticed and that my Badlands crew noticed, we were all watching the speech together on the live stream. Maybe some of you were there watching along with us. But we noticed that the first half hour of Joe Biden's speech was essentially a MAGA speech. He began by trying to show that he is actually good friends with both sides. And in the Democrat-Republican paradigm that much of the country is still understanding in some way as relevant, though it is not, Joe Biden looked like he was embracing bipartisanship. He talked about his good buddy, Mitch McConnell, and he bragged about his history of working across the aisle. He has so many good friends in Congress and in the Senate because of his 50 years in public office. Of course, all of that was spent selling out the interests of his constituents, first to American corporations and then to our foreign adversaries. But he got paid a lot of money for it. And other politicians that he worked with over his career got to participate in the same sort of schemes, many of them with Joe Biden. But Joe Biden wants to present himself as the unifier he promised the country he would be while he was pretending to campaign and has since abandoned that philosophy entirely, though only through his actions. The narrative on Joe Biden from the media, from culture, the accepted central narrative viewpoint that everybody knows is that Joe Biden is still a moderate. He is a return to decency. The adults are back in the room. That is still Joe Biden's branding. He is a very serious man who doesn't hesitate to make difficult decisions. And he's always willing to tell the hard truths to the American people. He spent the first half hour or so of his speech pretending to be an America first populist. And naturally, that's by design. He knows that people are going to watch some of the speech, usually from the beginning, and many will get bored and tune out over time. So that first 20 minutes or a half an hour, that's all set up to appeal to all Americans. Let all Americans know we know that things are more expensive. We know that your lives are not what you wanted them to be right now. But of course, that's not our fault. And the best thing that can happen is that we all work together to solve these problems for all of you. Now, of course, there are no problems that the regime has actually solved. The regime causes the problems and then recommends solutions to those problems that not only don't solve the problems, they just push the same global regime agenda forward. 
He essentially gave the same speech he gave last year. And I remember recording my response to the State of the Union address and remarking the same thing. This is a MAGA speech that then takes a turn. He sets the Democrat Party up as the actual populists. All of the regime's policies actually are for the people. And after establishing that and the emotional connection with the people that that's designed to establish, well, then the perspective gets entirely flipped on its head and the policy portion of the speech is just typical boilerplate regime stuff about how giving the government more power is going to solve everyone's problems. So we'll get into some of the highlights of the speech in just a second. But let's wind back to the beginning as they're all coming in. The way this looks for the television cameras is ridiculous. And we discussed this a bit on the live stream last night. It has always looked this way. I'm not saying that this part of it has changed. I'm saying that what we have seen before seems to be happening even more now. Or perhaps it's my perspective that's changed and the grand show of it all, the display of this imperial power as if the people funneling into the house chamber are American royalty in some sense. All of that stuff is just right in the foreground now. Different groups of dignitaries are announced The cable news hosts are commenting on who's coming into the room and how important they are and what achievements they've just won for the American people. It almost reminds you of a red carpet at an awards show as they all enter. Look how important they are. Everybody wants to shake their hands. Everyone's smiling. Look, the important people are coming in. It has been said for years that Washington, D.C. is Hollywood for ugly people. And I noted last night that it seems like Washington, D.C. might also be Hollywood for good actors. And what I mean when I say that is that at no time in my history of watching television or movies, and I would imagine that this applies to all of you too, at no time have I ever thought this is really happening. I never thought that what I was watching on screen was part of reality. Actors on television shows and in movies are actors. The scenario they're in is entirely scripted and stage managed and produced. It's lit in a certain way. It's shot in a certain way. And I have never thought when watching Game of Thrones or Top Gun that that stuff is actually happening out there in the world. Most of us do think that, though, when it comes to politics, despite the scripting, the lighting, the way they shoot it, the stage management and the production. We saw that in the sham January 6th committee. They actually had television producers come on to produce those events as television shows so that they could project them during prime time to the American people script in the emotionality, script the sequence of events in order to create drama. That's what the whole thing was about. They wanted to create an emotional connection with any Americans who were watching it. They wanted those Americans to feel that whatever happened on January 6th 
is not only as bad as you know, as bad as you were told by the cable news, it's actually so much worse. Look at the story we're going to tell you. You have to believe it because all of this is real and we would never lie. And once people are in that state, you can convince them of just about anything. The whole grand display of the entrance of the fake president and his fake administration is meant to make these people look very serious, very important, and very well-respected. Except they're not serious, they're not well-respected, and they're not particularly important. None of these people in the fake administration even seem to be acting with autonomy. They're all just executing a program that comes from somewhere else, and this is clearly visible pretty much all the time. And of course, last night comported with that. One of the most interesting moments was when Jill Biden walked in dressed in purple and then went to find her seat next to the second gentleman, Doug Emhoff, husband, apparently, of the fake vice president, Kamala Harris. Well, Jill Biden walked on over to Doug Emhoff and the two of them kissed on the mouth. And I'm not saying they went for the cheek and missed and ended up on the mouth. I'm saying they kissed on the mouth. I mean, it's on video. You can go see it. Not that you want to. It's very weird. Exactly what kind of relationship do these people have? Now, also, before we get into the speech itself, it's worth mentioning what some of the members of Congress were wearing, and I'm not just talking about Ayanna Presley's dress that made her look like she was straight out of the movie The Fifth Element. I'm talking about the Ukraine colors that were kind of everywhere. Mitch McConnell was wearing a Ukraine colored tie. A lot of the members were wearing little flag pins with an American flag and a Ukrainian flag on the same pin. We have come to see those quite often. And you got to wonder why representatives of the American government are wearing the flag of another nation in a way that makes the two flags look equal. Now, this would be inappropriate if the Ukraine effort was in any way justified in terms of American interests or even basic morality. But of course, it's not. We are arming and funding a Nazi army and an army of private contractors and foreign mercenaries in one of the most corrupt countries in the world, a proxy state for the global regime. That army is there fighting the Russians in their attempt to demilitarize and denazify what is essentially a rogue state that's waging ethnic civil war against people of Russian ethnicity within their own country and have been for eight or nine years now. Ukraine has lost something like 20 or 30 percent of its land, much of its productivity, a quarter of its population to migration and hundreds of thousands of lives on the battlefield. And this war, as we're calling it, is being prolonged by the American support of that effort. 
the arms, the money that are flowing in, much of it's not getting there in the first place. A lot of the money is just being laundered around the world to global interests. And a lot of the military equipment and armaments are being redirected and sold on the black market. But the war effort marches on because apparently the United States and its European allies, the European Union and NATO are just one thing that is there to protect what we're told is the liberal world order. And so we can forget about NATO's intended purpose or any American interest in Ukraine. We have to just go along with what has been decided by the global regime. They have to protect their interests in Ukraine. They need young American men and women to go fight and die to protect those interests. And they're happy to provide any rationale, no matter how detached from reality, to justify what they're doing. So if all that was worth it, and it's not, representatives of the American government still have no business wearing another country's flag while ostensibly doing the work of the American people. And those weren't even the strangest lapel pins. There were members wearing pins that say the word abortion on them. And perhaps they were just describing the Democrat Party. So let's get into the speech. Joe Biden comes out as the unifier. He just wants to connect people. He wants to tell them he really gets it. He wants to be inspiring Joe, you know, Joe Biden, who always inspires everyone around with his great speeches. Congratulations, the longest serving leader in the history of the United States Senate, Mitch McConnell. Where are you, Mitch? And congratulations to Chuck Schumer, another, uh, you know, another term as Senate Minority Leader. Uh, you know, I think you, uh, only this time you have a slightly bigger majority, Mr. Leader, and you're in a majority leader. About that much bigger? Yeah. Well, I tell you what, I want to give special recognition to someone who I think is going to be considered the greatest speaker in the history of the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi. See, bipartisanship. Mitch McConnell sitting there in his Ukraine flag colored tie being honored by the fake president. And then he goes to Chuck Schumer, who is either the minority leader or the majority leader. And Joe eventually figured out which one. And then, of course, he honors Nancy Pelosi, the greatest speaker in House history. That's how she's going to go down. And that probably is how she will go down if we lose everything, including, of course, the country. And these people get to once again write history with them as the winners. And when you're watching these sorts of things, it's good to think about that. What are they trying to set up? How will this be viewed in the future? They are always conscious of that because they are speaking to a different audience than you might imagine they're speaking to. Joe Biden is not necessarily talking to the American public. I mean, of course, he is because the American public is watching. But the language, what he's saying is not primarily addressed to the people. That language is primarily addressed to the global regime. This is an opportunity 
for the puppets of that regime to justify their existence to those who actually control them. Joe Biden is arguing for his continued usefulness to his global masters. The goal is to tell those people what they want to hear in a way that the American people also might connect to. He wants to portray America as united under his illegitimate rule, but all united in support of the global regime's agenda. Because part of pretending to have our democracy is pretending that the people actually matter when, of course, they don't. And that's proven by the fact that these people steal elections and not just in America. They steal them worldwide. They overthrow governments. They overthrew Ukraine's government, which led to the ethnic civil war that's been raging in Ukraine for the last eight or nine years. They attempted to steal the elections in Myanmar in 2020. They stole the election in Brazil this past fall. This is what the global regime does. They have a whole playbook for it. But let's go on. Joe Biden, the great uniter, accomplishing so much for Americans. Joe Biden is, after all, the perfect America first candidate, at least according to whoever wrote this speech. Folks, the story of America is a story of progress and resilience, of always moving forward, of never, ever giving up. It's a story unique among all nations. We're the only country that has emerged from every crisis we've ever entered stronger than we got into it. Look, folks, that's what we're doing again. Two years ago, the economy was reeling. I stand here tonight after we've created, with the help of many people in this room, 12 million new jobs, more jobs created in two years than any president's created in four years because of you all, because of the American people. So Joe Biden says that we're the only country that always emerges from struggle even stronger. We're unique in the world, but there's no measure by which this country is actually stronger than when Joe Biden took office and the American people know it, which is why they say it to pollsters. And because the idea that Joe Biden somehow has created more jobs in his two years than any other president has in their four year terms is so preposterous that the fact checks began immediately from the beginning of his speech. This is from Breitbart. The claim President Joe Biden claimed during his State of the Union address that he has created nearly double the number of jobs that the next closest president created in four years on average. The verdict mostly false. While many jobs have been created coming out of the pandemic era lockdowns after former President Donald Trump encouraged the reopening of the economy, Biden is comparing his monthly jobs record for the first two years of his term to the full four or eight year terms of the six previous presidents, according to The Washington Post. But Biden is comparing apples to oranges. He miscalculated by including future times for which no job data is available. Importantly, most of the jobs created during the Biden presidency were jobs that were reopened as the pandemic shackles on the economy were taken off. The economy only recently reached the level of employment hit during the Trump administration prior to the pandemic. So only recently have American jobs come back to the point they were at 
under Trump. And it's critical to remember that the job losses in America were the direct result of COVID policy, not of COVID. Certain states handled it in different ways. The states where lockdowns were the most extreme are the same states where the people lost the most jobs. So it wasn't COVID that did that. It wasn't Donald Trump that did that. It wasn't Donald Trump's management of COVID that did that. It was the regime's policies regarding COVID that did that. And those policies achieved the intended outcome for the regime. Remember, all of that period was about ushering in the Great Reset. They were executing an agenda to enable the Great Reset. They wanted Americans to adjust to the new normal of not working anywhere but from home, of not traveling to work, of not driving around to see people, of not going to stores or bars or restaurants. That's why Americans lost jobs. That's why small businesses went out of business. Joe Biden is taking credit for the return of jobs that Joe Biden's allies destroyed. But let's check on some other bipartisan accomplishments. In fact, I signed over 300 bipartisan pieces of legislation since becoming president, from reauthorizing the Violence Against Women Act, the Electoral Count Reform Act, the Respect for Marriage Act that protects the right to marry the person you love. And to my Republican friends, if we could work together the last Congress, there's no reason we can't work together and find consensus on important things in this Congress as well. The Electoral Count Reform Act, huh? Well, Donald Trump responded to that on Truth Social and said, why did they need the Electoral Reform Act? The vice president was told he had no choice but to send the votes back to the old crow, Mitch McConnell. The lawyers convinced the vice president to do something he did not have to do. He should have sent the votes back to the state legislatures for checking. And that's a great point. It's also worth considering what he means by bipartisan. They were able to occasionally attract the Republican members of Congress who voted for Trump's impeachment. And Mitch McConnell was always able to scrounge up a few regime rhinos to get things passed through the Senate. But that doesn't in any way mean that those policies are bipartisan in terms of the American people on, quote unquote, both sides actually wanting them. He's bragging about forcing policies through that Americans, by and large, do not want at all, simply because enough members of the regime were prepared to vote for them. You all are as formed as I am, but I think the people sent us a clear message fighting for the sake of fighting. Power for the sake of power, conflict for the sake of conflict gets us nowhere. That's always been my vision of our country, and I know it's many of yours. To restore the soul of this nation, to rebuild the backbone of America, America's middle class, and to unite the country. We've been sent here to finish the job, in my view. For decades, the middle class has been hollowed out in more than, and not no one administration, but for a long time. Too many good-paying manufacturing jobs move overseas. Factories closed down. Once thriving cities and towns that many of you represent became shadows of what they used to be. And along the way, something else we lost. Pride. Our sense of self-worth. I ran for president to fundamentally change things. To make sure our economy works for everyone. So we can all feel that pride in what we do. To build an economy from the bottom up and the middle out. 
not from the top down. Because when the middle class does well, the poor have a ladder up and the wealthy still do very well. We all do well. Now, Joe Biden and regime policies have destroyed the middle class in America as they destroy the middle class around the world. What they do is go into countries and destroy their systems and create a permanent underclass. And what they've done in the past is then take the people in that permanent underclass and ship them around the world where they can be used as cheap labor and have their political power exploited. Hence the slave trade happening at our southern border. But leaving that aside, Joe Biden is arguing that he wants the pride in America to return. Sounds like he wants to make America great again. That's what he's saying. He wants Americans to be proud of their country again. How would that happen? Well, America would be great again. And then everybody would have pride in it. Joe Biden, though, is not a person who should be using the word pride that much, having been mentored in politics for decades by a Klansman. It's also worth noting that the camera travels to Bernie Sanders for reaction shots a bunch of times throughout the State of the Union last night. Bernie Sanders spent the entire time wearing a mask for COVID, even though study after study and meta-analysis after meta-analysis shows that masks don't work, including the N95s like the one Bernie Sanders is wearing. So why in the world is Bernie Sanders wearing it? Does he just think that the communists at home are going to appreciate him keeping everyone safe? Is he trying to win favor with the tiny and shrinking minority of child-brained communists out there who still think that masks work? What is Bernie Sanders doing? He must know the science. Why isn't he following the science? Standing here last year, I shared with you a story of American genius and possibilities. Semiconductors, small computer chips the size of a fingerprint that power everything from cell phones to automobiles and so much more. These chips were invented in America. Let's get that straight. They were invented in America. We used to make 40% of the world's chips. In the last several decades, we lost our edge. We're down to only producing 10%. We all saw what happened during the pandemic when chip factories shut down overseas. Today's automobiles need 3,000 chips, each of those automobiles. But American automobiles couldn't make enough cars because there weren't enough chips. Car prices went up. People got laid off. So did everything from refrigerators to cell phones. We can never let that happen again. That's why. That's why we came together to pass the Bipartisan Chips and Science Act. Now, Joe Biden is hinting that he's bringing manufacturing back to America and that this legislation is actually going to prevent America from the potential situation where we do not have enough chips and semiconductors to make the products Americans need. Cars, we're not able to make as many cars. We have self-reproducing cars, apparently, according to Joe Biden. I think he just means that automobile manufacturers weren't able to make enough cars because of chips. And what could cause the biggest chip shortage in American or world history? That's what Joe Biden's really hinting about. 
And that connects directly to Taiwan. You see, Joe Biden notes that all of this manufacturing over the past few decades has flooded out of America and to countries overseas. Joe Biden was partially responsible for that. American globalists are responsible for that. And Joe Biden is previewing one of the narratives that is going to arise when the China-Taiwan conflict begins. We're going to need to defend Taiwan because they have all the chips. And if China takes them over, then America is going to be screwed. America is actually going to face the worst possible downside of our globalization, of the systematic erosion of American manufacturing in order to ship that manufacturing overseas and exploit cheap labor and many times slave labor, because that's what the globalist agenda calls for. So again, he's talking about a problem that the particular set of policies supported by Joe Biden and the global regime caused, and he is suggesting that somehow what he's already done is fixing that problem. But he wants America to understand how big a problem this could be because it's going to come back around again in a few months. We're making sure that every community, every community in America has access to affordable high-speed Internet. No parent should have to drive by McDonald's parking lot to help them do their homework online with their kids, which many thousands are doing across the country. And when we do these projects, and again, I get criticized for this, but I make no excuses for it. We're going to buy America. We're going to buy America. Folks. And it's totally, it's totally consistent with international trade rules. Buy America has been the law since 1933, but for too long, past administrations, Democrat and Republican, have fought to get around it. Not anymore. Tonight, I'm announcing new standards require all construction materials used in federal infrastructure projects to be made in America. So there we are again. We're going to make America great again. We are only going to use made in America products, made in America materials. All our infrastructure projects are going to be made in America. And you see, it doesn't even violate international rules. Prior administrations have tried to work around that. Isn't that amazing? Well, which prior administrations, Joe? Was it the Obama administration that you were in? Or was it any of the other regime administrations who have consistently sold out to globalism over the last four decades? Also, Joe, if we're trying to put America first and make America great again, as you continue suggesting... Why do we care about international trade rules? In fact, why do we have international trade rules? Do those international trade rules benefit America or American trade? Or are they just rules put in place by international governance bodies like the World Trade Organization? And then we follow them because we've agreed to be part of the World Trade Organization that actually limits our ability to put America first and make America great again. And if we're now to understand that international trade rules aren't necessarily the best choice for America, 
are we allowed to consider that maybe there might be other international rules that we may not be well served by following? Biden then goes into a long section about the cost of insulin and the cost of medical treatments generally and how families are going broke because of medical payments. And he talks about how the pharma companies, he's going to cap the prices for certain pharma products so that people on Medicare can afford their monthly out-of-pocket expenses, which means that the government is just going to pay more because there's certainly no way that pharma demand is going down. Remember, they're trying to nationalize healthcare in the United States, and Obamacare set them on the fast path toward that. But we also have to remember that the federal government has been giving billions and billions and billions of dollars to the pharma company to purchase a quote unquote vaccine that cannot protect Americans from a disease that cannot kill Americans. And we're also using American taxpayer money to send these same quote unquote vaccines that are not safe and not effective and not at all necessary to a bunch of foreign nations as well. So Biden is pretending that they're actually holding the pharma companies to account while they are just continually increasing business to the pharma companies that the American government is eventually going to pay for. They're talking about Medicare right now, but of course these programs expand. And he even noted that the pharma companies are going to be just fine. They're going to keep making tons and tons of money. They shouldn't worry at all. And that, again, is one of those moments where you say, hey, who is he talking to? Is he talking to the regime? Yes, of course he is. And all of this, of course, is premised on the idea that Big Pharma's products are healing Americans and not harming Americans, that Big Pharma is the cure and not itself the disease. And we are finding that to be completely false, exactly wrong. The pharma companies were directly involved in creating the virus. They were also directly involved in creating the vaccines. And they worked on all of the mitigation strategies, in quotes, that didn't actually mitigate anything. They ran the COVID narrative. So they created the quote unquote virus, the quote unquote vaccine, the quote unquote mitigation strategies, and they orchestrated and scripted the entire narrative. They did this in tabletop exercises and war games long before the pandemic began. A piece of video came out the other day where they were talking about how in 2019, they needed to manufacture a billion doses of their new mRNA vaccine because there would definitely be a pandemic in 2020. So the people that literally created and ran everything that is the very deadly pandemic are being portrayed as the only cure to the problems, once again, they've created. The entire premise of what Joe Biden's saying throughout this section is that the pharma companies are ultimately good, but, you know, sometimes they get a little greedy and maybe they make too much money and we care so much about Americans' health that we are actually going to pay for these pharma company products so that you don't have to. 
That's basically just a commercial for how good the pharma companies are. And when you realize that, it becomes pretty clear why Joe Biden's saying it. The Inflation Reduction Act is also the most significant investment ever in climate change. Ever. Lower utility bills, creating American jobs, leading the world to a clean energy future. I visited the devastating aftermath of record floods, droughts, storms, and wildfires from Arizona to Mexico to all the way up to the Canadian border. More timber has been burned, as I've observed from helicopters, than the entire state of Missouri. And we don't have global warming? Not a problem. In addition to emergency recovery, from Puerto Rico to Florida to Idaho, we're rebuilding for the long term. New electric grids that are able to weather major storms and not prevent those forest fires. Roads and water systems will stand the next big flood. Clean energy to cut pollution and create jobs in communities often left behind. We're going to build 500,000 electric vehicle charging stations installed across the country by tens of thousands of IBW workers. The Inflation Reduction Act has not reduced inflation, though they say that inflation is rising at continually lower rates, which is, by the way, not the same thing as inflation dropping. But he just bragged about seeing the devastation of forest fires, which are primarily due to mismanagement, if not downright arson. And somehow these are proof of climate change. Joe Biden just said right there, bang, proved climate change. You're saying there's not climate change, even though these forests have burnt down? Well, that's impossible. That's what climate change is. Forests burning down. He says he's visited the sites of record devastation from both droughts and floods and The way to fix that is by building charging stations for electric vehicles all over the country while they're also implementing the 15-minute city agenda and all of these other agendas designed to take car ownership away from American citizens. They don't want you to have private automobiles. They want you to use public or shared transportation. And all of that was not passed as a climate change bill. That was part of the Inflation Reduction Act. He is bragging about sweeping trillion dollar bills that basically no one read that primarily just send American taxpayer money to special interests. And about 10% of the money in that bill actually goes to attempting to cure The problem that once again, they themselves have caused none of what he's talking about actually helps normal Americans in their day to day lives, certainly not in the domain of climate change, which once again is a problem they made up. Let's face reality. The climate crisis doesn't care if you're in a red or blue state. It's an existential threat. We have an obligation, not to ourselves, but to our children and grandchildren to confront it. I'm proud of how how America at last is stepping up to the challenge. We're still going to need oil and gas for a while. But guess what? No, we do. 
but there's so much more to do. We've got to finish the job. We pay for these investments in our future by finally making the wealthiest and biggest corporations begin to pay their fair share. So it's an existential threat. We are all going to die if we don't do something about this. We have a responsibility to our children and grandchildren. And our responsibility to our children and grandchildren only includes doing what the regime says when it comes to the climate change hoax and absolutely does not include considering whether or not it's a good idea to have a national debt of $33 trillion, adding trillions more of pointless spending every year to give handouts to special interests or ship hundreds of billions of dollars around the world to foreign countries like Ukraine. Our responsibility to our children and grandchildren, you see, only goes so far. Then he goes into the whole spiel about making corporations pay their fair share. We've heard this from Bernie Sanders in every speech he's ever given for his entire life. We've heard this from Democrats for literally decades. So the people in power have wanted the corporations to pay their fair share for decades, yet the corporations apparently are still not paying their fair share. At some point, we might consider that there's something going on with the relationship between the people in power and the corporations who aren't paying their fair share. How do they get to keep having that deal year after year where they don't have to pay any taxes? I mean, that's super weird, right? And it only gets weirder when you consider that our government who wants to force corporations to pay their fair share is also implementing the Build Back Better agenda, which is the World Economic Forum's agenda for the Great Reset that is also being carried out in other countries. That's not Joe Biden's agenda. If you don't believe me, go on YouTube, search Great Reset Compilation or Build Back Better Compilation, and you can hear politicians from all across the world talk about how they're going to implement that agenda as well. Well, then you look at the World Economic Forum's partners in the Great Reset, and I'm talking about their corporate partners right now, not their governmental partners, but their corporate partners are the corporations they're talking about who aren't paying their fair share. So it turns out that not only do the government officials talking about these corporations paying their fair share have direct, mutually beneficial relationships with these corporations. They also have another indirect, mutually beneficial relationship with these corporations through the World Economic Forum. And their policy and their political agendas are all coordinated. So you got to think at some point, if something is stopping these corporations from having to pay their fair share, well, it pretty much has to involve All of those people in the room right there with Joe Biden, including and especially Joe Biden. And it's worth noting that when he's talking about all of these big projects to solve climate change or infrastructure or whatever else, what he's actually talking about is the infrastructure being put in place to enhance the global agenda. This is like the Chinese Belt and Road Project. There is a Western Hemisphere Belt and Road Project happening as well. These infrastructure projects are not designed to make the lives 
of the average American better. They're to facilitate the shipments of goods and supplies and people around the world as needed for part of the larger agenda. And Joe Biden has discussed this in speeches around the world. I've covered some of those on the podcast. Joe Biden and Hunter Biden were essentially helping the global regime achieve their goals in regards to global infrastructure. The benefits he's talking about are not for Americans. They're for the project of globalism. Now, why don't you tell us about oil, Joe? They invested too little of that profit to increase domestic production. And when I talk to a couple of them, they say, we're afraid you're going to shut down all the oil wells and all the uh, oil refineries anyway, so why should we invest in them? I said, we're going to need oil for at least another decade. And that's going to exceed <laughs> and beyond that. We're going to need it. Production. If they had, in fact, invested in the production to keep gas prices down, instead, they used the record profits to buy back their own stock, rewarding the CEOs and shareholders. Corporations ought to do the right thing. That's why I propose we quadruple the tax on corporate stock buybacks and encourage long, long-term investments. And this is when things start falling off the rails for the fake president. He told oil companies that they need to up their production and invest in new wells, etc. And he's blaming their refusal to do so for the high prices that we're paying at the pump. He's saying that they refuse to do so because he's just trying to get rid of oil anyway. And his response is, well, no, we're going to need oil for at least the next 10 years. And the room breaks out in laughter because what he's saying is so utterly absurd and so completely detached from reality. Of course, he doesn't care because that's the agenda. And he must not care because he just explains to the nation why the high gas prices are his fault. But he assumes everyone's just going to blame the oil companies. So my many some of my Republican friends want to take the economy hostage. I get it. Unless I agree to their economic plans. All of you at home should know what those plans are. Instead of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans, some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. <laughs> Let me give you, anybody who doubts it, contact my office. I'll give you a copy. I'll give you a copy of the proposal. That means Congress doesn't vote. Well, I'm glad to see you. No, I tell you, I, I enjoy conversion. You know, it means if, if Congress doesn't keep the programs the way they are, they'd go away. Other Republicans say, I'm not saying it's a majority of you. I don't even think it's even a significant. But it's being proposed by individuals. I'm not politely not naming them, but it's being proposed by some of you. Look, folks. The idea is that we're not going to be we're, we're not going to be moved into being threatened to default on the debt if we don't respond. Folks. So he just attempted to claim that Republicans are trying to get rid of Social Security and Medicare 
And that is their goal. That's why they're going to hold up the raising of the debt ceiling. They don't want to raise the debt ceiling because they want government programs reduced. Even Donald Trump is out there saying not to touch Social Security and Medicare. So there is nothing coming from America first or MAGA that suggests getting rid of Social Security and Medicare. And Joe Biden can't actually say who's doing that, but he's claiming that they are anyway. And that's why he's getting all the blowback. That's why Marjorie Taylor Greene is standing up and calling him a liar. This is pretty raucous for a State of the Union address. You might remember back during Barack Hussein Obama's term as president in one of his State of the Unions, Joe Wilson, a congressman from South Carolina, stood up and said that Barack Obama was a liar. He said, you lie. And that was a huge news story for like weeks. They used it, honestly, throughout the next couple of years as an example of how Republicans are racist because Joe Wilson stood up and said that to the first black president. And then we had to have nonstop conversations about proper decorum for a State of the Union. Now, the State of the Union is not some sacred, somber ceremony. It is just an address by the president to tell the nation how things are going. There's no rule that presidents must always be revered and respected. Joe Biden's not a legitimate president, and he's certainly not ever acting in America's interest. It is great that he's being shown up on national television in front of the world as the embarrassment he is. He has no ability to respond to the critique and to the blowback that he's getting from the Republican side because he doesn't even know where he is. Donald Trump pointed out last night that if Joe Biden is taken off script, he's basically screwed. He's essentially like Ron Burgundy in Anchorman. And you can hear it in his voice. His speechwriters thought that they would just be given clean shot after clean shot. They could say whatever they wanted. Joe Biden's up there. He's got the bully pulpit. Nobody's going to say anything. He's going to lie directly to the American people. Well, Joe Biden found out that wasn't going to happen. And all of these big moments that they're probably planning to use down the road are instead being refuted in real time in a pretty embarrassing way for the fake president. My administration is also taking on junk fees, those hidden surcharges too many companies use to make you pay more. For example, we're making airlines show you the full ticket price up front, refund your money if your flight is canceled or delayed. We reduce exorbitant bank overdrafts by saving consumers more than $1 billion a year. We're cutting credit card late fees by 75% from $30 to $8. Look, junk fees may not matter to the very wealthy, but they matter to most other folks in homes like the one I grew up in, like many of you did. They add up to hundreds of dollars a month. They make it harder for you to pay your bills or afford that family trip. I know how unfair it feels when a company overcharges you and gets away with it. Not anymore. We've written a bill to stop it all. It's called the Junk Fee Prevention Act. We're going to ban surprise resort fees that hotels charge on your bill. Those fees can cost you up to $90 a night at hotels that aren't even resorts. We, the idea 
that cable, internet, and cell phone companies can charge you 200 or more if you decide to switch to another provider. Give me a break. Now, what in the world is this about? Granted, nobody likes these surcharges and fees. He goes on to mention uh, ticket companies, talking about resort fees, talking about fees on your phone bill and your internet bill. No one likes to pay those. No one understands why they're there, why they're not just part of the cost and why it's okay for companies to do that. Don't get me wrong. But why is Joe Biden, the fake president, concerned with that? Why is that a big priority? And how in the world is it the government's responsibility to dictate these terms on this level of specificity? They're going after the airlines. They're going after the banks. They're going after telecom. They're going after hotels. Doesn't this in some way seem like it might be punitive? It's something that affects actual Americans very little for the most part, but it's something that can coerce all sorts of behavior and compliance with larger agendas from these corporations. We've seen this illegitimate administration do serious damage to the airline industry over the last couple of years. They forced vaccine mandates on pilots. Now the airlines don't have enough pilots. At this point, they seem to be directly targeting Southwest Airlines. That is just my view. That is speculative. We'll see how that turns out. But we know they have a whole range of coercive techniques to use to bring businesses into alignment with the global agenda, and they don't hesitate to use them. This sounds to me like it's another one of those tactics. And of course, they're being wielded against primarily Industries that, for whatever reason, the federal government is now allowed to regulate. For too long, workers have been getting stiffed, but not anymore. We're, getting, we're beginning to restore the dignity of work. For example, I, I, I should have known this, but I didn't until two years ago. 30 million workers have to sign non-compete agreements with the jobs they take. 30 million. So a cashier at a burger place, can't walk across town and take the same job at another burger place and make a few bucks more. It just changed. But they just changed it because we exposed it. That was part of the deal, guys. Look it up. But not anymore. We're banning those agreements so companies have to compete for workers and pay them what they're worth. Now, I don't really have anything important to say about that except for the fact that Joe Biden Sounds like every child-brained liberal in an argument always. He says something preposterous. Everybody says, what in the world are you talking about? And he responds, oh, oh they just, uh, they just uh, changed it. Yeah, that's what it is. They just changed it. Look it up. The thing I'm saying is right for sure. Just look it up. They just changed it. Oh, yeah, sure they did, commie. There is a big problem in this country of McDonald's workers not being able to go work at Wendy's due to the non-compete clauses in their contracts. Now let's hear a revisionist history of the very deadly pandemic. When schools were closed and we were shutting down everything, 
Let's recognize how far we came in the fight against the pandemic itself. While the virus is not gone, thanks to the resilience of the American people and the ingenuity of medicine, we've broken the COVID grip on us. COVID deaths are down by 90%. We've saved millions of lives and opened up our country. We opened our country back up. And soon we'll end the public health emergency. But that's called a public health emergency. But we'll remember the toll and pain that's never going to go away. More than a million Americans lost their lives to COVID. A million. Families grieving. Children orphaned. Empty chairs at the dining room table constantly reminding you that she used to sit there. Remembering them, we remain vigilant. We still need to monitor dozens of variants and support new vaccines and treatments. So Congress needs to fund these efforts and keep America safe. And as we emerge from this crisis stronger, we're also got to double down on prosecuting criminals who stole relief money meant to keep workers and small businesses. Okay, so the regime's pandemic strategy killed a million Americans in Joe Biden's description, but they also saved millions and millions of Americans somehow. And part of saving millions and millions of Americans was locking down the country, even though lockdowns didn't save anyone and destroyed society. But part of their ability to lock down the country came because they also decided that they were going to pay people while their businesses were closed or while the government told them that they couldn't go to work and be productive members of society. Now, a lot of that money that they were giving out just wasn't tracked at all. They were just sending it around all over the place. In California, they sent people little debit cards and kept refilling them with unemployment payments. And people would go around and steal those little cards out of the mail and keep them and take them to go shopping on Rodeo Drive. And it wasn't the normal crowd of people who shop on Rodeo Drive. It was people who had collected a bunch of free government money from other people's mailboxes. You know, kind of like they do with ballots. I wonder if it was the same group of people. It's almost like the collection of those unemployment cards was a test run for the collection of the ballots. So certainly there was a lot of fraud in these payments meant to help the country through this very hard lockdown period that would surely save millions of lives, even though lockdowns saved zero lives. But they also gave out PPP loans and a lot of rich people took and accepted those PPP loans. And then the illegitimate regime has decided to forgive almost all of them, including payments made to families of politicians like Nancy Pelosi. But now Joe Biden is promising to go after COVID payment related fraud, but not for everybody. We're supposed to assume that he's only going after people who actually committed fraud. But I'm kind of curious to see what the definition of fraud is going to be in these circumstances, because if you're going to go by the trends of this fake administration and its extensive history of targeting conservatives, 
It seems to me like Joe Biden might be announcing that he's going to go after political opponents. You can call me crazy for now. Say it's speculation. Say it's a conspiracy theory. But watch it happen. Now, who's ready for the racism portion of the show? As many of you personally know, there's no words to describe the heartache or grief of losing a child. But imagine, imagine if you lost that child at the hands of the law. Imagine having to worry whether your son or daughter came home from walking down the street, playing in the park, or just driving a car. Most of us in here have never had to have the talk, the talk that brown and black parents have had to have with their children. Bo, Hunter, Ashley, my children, I never had to have the talk with them. I never had to tell them if a police officer pulls you over, turn your interior lights on right away. Don't reach for your license. Keep your hands on the steering wheel. Imagine having to worry like that every single time your kid got in a car. So Joe Biden's talking about Tyree Nichols, and he showed off the fact that Tyree Nichols' parents were invited to the State of the Union for some reason so that they could be shown off and exploited. And we are supposed to believe that Tyree Nichols' death was a factor of race, even though the five cops who beat him relentlessly were all black and he's black and the police chief is black. But even though race was no part of that incident, it's still part of the exploitative point we can make about the incident. And it's funny how many times Democrats continue to use these same talking points about having this talk with their kids. What about that talk is difficult? That's not a difficult conversation. It's just good sense to advise your kids on how to respond if you get pulled over, how to alert the cop to the fact that you are not a threat. I'm a white guy as far as I know. My dad told me, keep your hands on the steering wheel. Listen to the instructions from the officer. And there was nothing difficult about it. And I said, hey, all right. Now, I haven't been pulled over in many years, but I have been pulled over for speeding a couple of times, and it's never been difficult for me to keep my hands on the wheel and follow the officer's instructions and say, yes, sir. I've also had totally rational conversations with police officers where I explain my side of the case and they say, all right, I'm going to let you off with a warning. And other times they write me a ticket. Because that's how that works. And I'm not saying that black Americans are not mistreated by police officers during traffic stops. I'm not saying that at all. It would just be nice if we could stop being so stupid about all of this and pretending that the necessity of the conversation about how to interact with cops is some kind of moral abomination. This is ridiculous. Then he goes into a bit about how we must do something, do something. That's what the parents at Uvalde asked of us. We need to do something. Then he brings up the Lunar New Year shooting in Los Angeles. Another mass shooting event, again, not carried out by anyone who has to do with MAGA, not even a white person. 
They keep having these shooting events, but the shooters are never the people they quite need them to be. But they don't care because they want excuses to ban assault weapons now. Ban them now. Once and for all. I love the fight to do that in 1994. In, in 10 years, that ban was law. Mass shootings went down after we let it expire in the Republican administration. Mass shootings tripled. Let's finish the job and ban these assault weapons. You got it. Joe Biden already accomplished it way back in the 90s. And now he wants to accomplish it again. He says that shootings dropped and then went way back up because of the assault weapons ban, but they want to ban AR-15s, which aren't assault weapons, and many, if not most, of the people we've seen in that room, and we've seen video of these people discussing this, but most of those people can't even define what an assault weapon is. But how about immigration? We know we now have a record number of personnel working to secure the border arresting 8,000 human smugglers, seizing over 23,000 pounds of fentanyl in just the last several months. We've launched a new border plan last month. Unlawful migration from Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Venezuela has come down 97% as a consequence of that. But American border problems won't be fixed until Congress acts. If we don't pass my comprehensive immigration reform, at least pass my plan to provide the equipment and officers to secure the border. See that they're actually doing a great job at the border. They're stopping everything from coming in. That's what the fake administration is really doing. They're not letting 250,000 illegal aliens into the country every month with all the drugs and the trafficked humans they can possibly carry with them. They're actually doing a great job and the job could be done greater if only Republicans would pass his comprehensive immigration reform. And of course, part of that is a pathway to citizenship and a pathway to voting in communist controlled states. They are already providing voting opportunities for illegal aliens and work opportunities for illegal aliens, including on police forces. And he's saying all this right after he just talked about the problems with police and a pathway to citizenship for dreamers, those on temporary status, farm workers, essential workers. Here in the people's house, it's our duty to protect all the people's rights and freedoms. Congress must restore the right and the... Congress must restore the right that was taken away and Roe v. Wade and protect Roe v. Wade. Give every woman a constant right. The Vice President and I are doing everything to protect access to reproductive health care and safeguard patient safety. But already more than a dozen states are enforcing extreme abortion bans. Make no mistake about it. If Congress passes a national ban, I will veto it. So Republicans start screaming at Joe Biden. It's your border. It's your border. And he just pauses and waits and then starts talking about abortion and how he's going to veto it. 
if they bring a national abortion ban to his desk. That's never happening. The entire point of Roe versus Wade being overturned is that the abortion issue is sent back to the states. There is no effort for a national abortion ban bill, despite what Lindsey Graham said to provide the Democrats a narrative leading up to the 2022 midterm. But there's nothing that makes Democrats cheer like abortion. And there's no easier way to make Democrats seem like heroes to evil people who don't know anything than telling those people that someone is going to take away their right to kill babies in the womb and then let them know that no matter what, you're going to be protected by Democrats. It's also passed the Bipartisan Equality Act to ensure LGBTQ Americans, especially transgender young people, can live with safety and dignity. So we have to protect abortions and we also have to protect the ability of transgender youth to get all the care they need. Joe Biden is literally advocating for the genital mutilation of children. That's what it is. We used to think of this as a reprehensible moral crime when it was being done by Muslims in Africa. Now it's totally okay. In fact, it's not just okay. It's the greatest thing we could ever do for kids. One thing that all adults know is that they wish they'd had their genitals lopped off as children, right? Can I get an amen, adults? And I tweeted before the State of the Union started, I wonder if we're about to see our second nationally televised satanic ritual this week. And I think this is the section that says yes. And if abortion and the genital mutilation of children wasn't enough, let's talk about a war of choice where we're funding Nazis. Let's remember the world's watching. I spoke in this chamber one year ago, just days after Vladimir Putin unleashed his brutal attack against Ukraine. A murderous assault, evoking images of death and destruction Europe suffered in World War II. Putin's invasion has been a test for the ages, a test for America, a test for the world. Would we stand for the most basic of principles? Would we stand for sovereignty? We stand for the right of people to live free of tyranny? Would we stand for the defense of democracy? For such defense matters to us because it keeps peace and prevents open season on would-be aggressors and threatens our prosperity. One year later, we know the answer. Yes, we would, and we did. We did. Would we stand for the defense of democracy? We need to show the world that we will stand up and preserve the liberal world order. Again, he's addressing the regime. And he's marking this down as a success. We showed them. Yes, we would. Yes, we would stand up. We're going to send them all the arms they need. We're going to send them all the money they need. 
In fact, we're going to blow up the Nord Stream pipeline and say it was Russia. We're going to blow up a Ukrainian bridge and we're going to say it was Russia. And by the way, not a conspiracy theory anymore. Now the regime has had to admit that the U.S. and the CIA are the ones responsible for the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. There's a big piece out today by Seymour Hersh. So there goes that whole conspiracy theory. Ukraine is in a far worse state than it was a year ago. There is no chance whatsoever that Ukraine will win their war against Russia. Zero chance. But Joe Biden is still saying that this is some sort of win. He is telling his masters, his regime masters, that this was a win. The United States showed that they're on board. Except again, that's not true either. Then he shouts out the Ukrainian ambassador who is sitting in the gallery right next to, for some unknown reason, Paul Pelosi. Man, those Pelosi's really love Ukraine. So Joe Biden's kicking ass in Ukraine. Let's hear about how much ass he's kicking when it comes to China. Our nation's working for more freedom, more dignity, more, more peace, not just in Europe, but everywhere. Before I came to office, the story was about how the People's Republic of China was increasing its power and America was failing in the world. Not anymore. We made clear, and I made clear in my personal conversations, which have been many, with President Xi, that we seek competition, not conflict. But I will make no apologies that we're investing in, to make America stronger. Investing in American innovation and industries that will define the future that China intends to be dominating. Investing in our alliances and working with our allies to protect advanced technologies so they will not be used against us. Modernizing our military to safeguard stability and determine, to, to deter aggression. Today, we're the strongest position in decades to compete with China or anyone else in the world. Anyone else in the world. And I'm committed. <laughs> I'm committed to work with China where we can advance American interests and benefit the world. But make no mistake about it. As we made clear last week, if China threatens our sovereignty, we will act to protect our country. And we did. Look, let's be clear. Winning the competition should unite all of us. We face serious challenges across the world. But in the past two years, democracies have become stronger, not weaker. Autocracy has grown weaker, not stronger. Name me a world leader who changed places with Xi Jinping. Name me one. Name me one. Now, that is incredible. Joe Biden is claiming victory on the sky circle. That is America looking strong in relation to China. That's what he's saying. Name me one world leader that would trade places with Xi Jinping. Well, let's think about that, Joe. Does trading places with Xi Jinping allow Xi Jinping to own the fake American president, too? Because in that case, I would imagine that most world leaders would happily trade places with Xi. And by the way, man, why are you screaming at us again? When I came to office, most assured that bipartisanship assumed 
was impossible. I never believed it. That's why a year ago I offered a unity agenda to the nation as I stood here. We made real progress together. We passed the law making it easy for doctors to prescribe effective treatments for opioid addiction. We passed the gun safety law making historic investments in mental health. We launched the ARPA-H drive for breakthrough in the fights against cancer, Alzheimer's, and diabetes, and so much more. We passed the Heath Robinson Pact Act, named after the late Iraq War veteran whose story about exposure to toxic burn kits I shared here last year. I understand something about those burn pits, but there's so much more to do. We can do it together. Joining us tonight is a father named Doug from Newton, New Hampshire. He wrote Jill, my wife, a letter, and me as well, about his courageous daughter, Courtney. A contagious laugh, his sister's best friend, her sister's best friend. He shared the story all too familiar to millions of Americans and many of you in the audience. Courtney discovered pills in high school. It spiraled into addiction and eventually death from a fentanyl overdose. She was just 20 years old. Describing the last eight years without her, Doug said, there's no worse pain. Yet their family has turned pain to purpose, working to end the stigma and change laws. He told us he wants to start a journey toward American recovery. Doug, we're with you. Fentanyl is killing more than 70,000 Americans a year. You got it. Effective treatments for opioid addiction, gun safety through mental health, Treatment for the burn pits, which, by the way, Joe Biden definitely knows something about because he keeps saying that his son, Bo Biden, died as a result of that. That's not true. Then he goes into the heart wrenching story about this family who lost their daughter to addiction and eventually a fentanyl overdose. And what do all those stories have in common? Well, Big Pharma's agenda. That's what those stories have in common. But he mentions fentanyl. And then the Republicans in the audience begin piping up. That's your border. That's your fault. And Joe Biden, having no idea what's going on, looks extremely confused and then just says, you got it. Joe Biden is a national embarrassment. This man is a disgrace at every level. He clearly does not write these speeches, but whoever writes these speeches is part of that national embarrassment and national disgrace because segments like this one, they should not possibly ever come out of Joe Biden's mouth. But let's hear some more commercials for Big Pharma. Let's hear what Big Pharma's going to do with the Joe Biden administration about cancer. And let's find another family to exploit. For the lives we can say and the lives we've lost, Let this be a truly American moment that rallies the country and the world together and prove that we can still do big things. 20 years ago, under the leadership of President Bush, 
and countless advocates and champions. He undertook a bipartisan effort through PEPFAR to transform the global fight against HIV-AIDS. It's been a huge success. He thought big. He thought large. He moved. I believe we can do the same thing with cancer. Let's end cancer as we know it. Cure some cancers once and for all. George Bush cured AIDS? Well, that's interesting because Anthony Fauci made up AIDS and AIDS was basically the same playbook that we just saw play out for COVID. Now they have injected everyone with a toxic experimental gene therapy that causes a whole range of problems, including AIDS and cancer. So how are they going to solve these problems that they've created Oh, it's going to be with new drugs or, you know, they could just change the testing procedures and stop telling people that they have diseases they don't have. But hey, let's not get crazy, but let's get to the big finish. Let's really just play out all of the emotionalizing, all of the lying, all of the pretense about their agenda and the morality of everything they're doing, the success of their administration, the achievements, all of the nonsense that we've heard for well over an hour of this speech. Let's wrap it up in a nice, tight little bow and figure out how to blame everything on MAGA. There's one reason why we've been able to do all of these things, our democracy itself. It's the most fundamental thing of all. With democracy, everything's possible. Without it, nothing is. The last few years, our democracy has been threatened and attacked, put at risk, put to the test in this very room on January the 6th. And then just a few months ago, an unhinged big lie assailed and unleashed a political violence the home of the then Speaker of the House of Representatives. Using the very same language the insurrectionists used as they stalked these halls and chanted on January 6th. Here tonight in this chamber is a man who bears the scars of that brutal attack, but is as tough and as strong and as resilient as they get. My friend Paul Pelosi. Paul, stand up. You see, Paul Pelosi was attacked by a big lie extremist. That's what it is. First, the citadel of our democracy was attacked, and then the Speaker of the House's husband was attacked in their home in one of the most ridiculous incidents we have ever been asked to believe by the media. But just like our democracy, Paul Pelosi sustained the attack and came through even stronger. Now, he mentioned that Paul Pelosi's attacker was saying the very same thing that the insurrectionists were saying on the insurrection, the January 6th insurrection. They were all saying, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Can you believe it? It's like it was scripted to happen in both of these false flag events the same way so that they could both be used for the same political purposes. Isn't that incredible that real life events just happened like this? They say reality is stranger than fiction, but you know what's the strangest? 
fiction that we're all supposed to pretend is reality. But such a heinous act should have never happened. We must all speak out. There's no place for political violence in America. We have to protect the right to vote, not suppress the fat fundamental right. Honor the results of our elections, not subvert the will of the people. We have to uphold the rule of law and restore trust in our institutions of democracy. And we must give hate and extremism in any form no safe harbor. You hear that, half of America? It's your fault. All of it is your fault. The political violence that you saw in 2020 from the domestic terrorists and BLM and Antifa, that's your fault because they were reacting to the racism that you're responsible for. And political violence is never acceptable except when it's your fault that it happens. And we get to blame you for it and hold everyone else up who's committing the political violence as heroes. But you see, if we have a situation where we can say that you were politically violent, well, then that's just your fault for being violent and being the racists that you are and being the election deniers that you are going around telling the big lie. And we can't have that. You need to believe the results of elections, even if the evidence of fraud is overwhelming. In fact, we're going to destroy your lives in as many ways as we possibly can. And once we do that, we are going to tell you that we will fix it only if you obey us. And that's kind of the point of the entire thing. It's kind of the point of the whole agenda. It is literally in the plan of the Great Reset that people's lives become so bad that they need to depend on this global governing regime because you can't build back better if you don't wreck everything first. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Mast and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month, comes out to under a quarter per episode, and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com. And you can find everything else by heading to Linktree, linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. 
The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Superlight Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The Eucalyptus Fiber Upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Superlight Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!